Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 16, When the Bow Breaks. The mystical, magical planet of Aldea uh, is where we're headed this week and where the Enterprise crew has this week's adventure. Uh, joining myself and Paul is uh, Aaron to discuss this episode. Aaron, thanks first for watching this episode and, and second for, for joining us on the show. Um, I didn't just watch the episode, Jason. I watched it twice. Uh-huh. And for that, I hate you. <laughs> Just that alone. <laughs> you know, the requirement, to be fair, was that you watch it once. The second one, that's kind I, of I on take you. this very seriously. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean. I, I'm honored to be a, asked to be on your podcast. I did my research, and now I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're kind of in a we're in a spot of the dregs in these episodes. <laughs> we really are. Like we we went on a hiatus, and when we're coming back, I feel like the the difficulty is we're coming right out of the shoot with some real clunkers of some episodes and i think this one kind of fits yeah this might be the the bottom of this valley mm, i don't know no i had a little bit I, I would argue that uh the episode we just talked about last week was the bottom of this valley this one doesn't come out of the valley too much but uh it's it's still kind of down there although i would argue that the the same thing that you guys were talking about last week when we talked about uh too short a season i think plays in here i think on on its nose, this is a good premise for an episode. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it is. Like the idea of Aldea, I think, is kind of cool, right? And they're even, they kind of have mm-hmm. that like discussion on the bridge where they're like, oh, it's a legend and, you know, oh, it's mystical. And, oh, it's, you know, I think Data's the one who's the naysayer, right? He's like, it's only, they're only stories or something like that. They really invest in that with 30 seconds of bridge talk. <laughs> yeah, for to and set everyone. Up. Every senior staffer is on the bridge listening too. Take uh-huh. note, like uh-huh. Beverly's up there for some reason. Georgie, Jordy, Data, Worf, Tasha, Troy, Riker, and Picard are all standing on the bridge for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let's go. Just review that for a second. That's like the entire senior staff, right? Yeah. And there's they're on board a starship. They're all there at the same time. Starships operating twenty four hours a day. Who who is running the the starship the rest I have an of the day? I'm sure that O'Brien, <laughs> O'Brien <laughs> takes that second and third shift. <laughs> the crewman. If you've ever seen Chief O'Brien at work, you know his day job isn't that taxing, so he's probably free to pick up a second and third shift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I wrote this in my notes actually uh, to to that exact point, Aaron. Um, you know, Aldea is magical and mysterious and, oh, it's right there. <laughs> like, oh, oh, just, <laughs> literally, like it's just on the viewer. And, and oh, wow, that oh, was quick. Oh, <laughs> I'll speak to that point. So Riker does bring up a good point, And it, it comes up later that that um, the reason they're there, it, it's really a trail of breadcrumbs that the Aldeans have left. Like they're not there accidentally. Right. Um, they're there because they've been accidentally lured there. So yep. there is a little bit of forgiveness there that, although I do like that idea of it, and that's what I took away the first time too, that like, oh, wow, they're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, because it, um, it just seems to be like, oh, <laughs> well, not so mysterious after all. Um, but as it turns out, that trail of breadcrumbs was laid because uh, uh, the Aldeans are after one thing, the Enterprise's children. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. This turns from, oh, a legend in space, like 
Atlantis or something into this planet is now a creepy pedophile van just <laughs> trolling around the solar system <laughs> looking for kids. I, I don't know where to go with that. That's just weird. Well, if you yeah, think about it, though. metaphor, you know, <laughs> kind of right they're, out. They're leaving space candy for ri- the Rikers of the universe to follow to their van. Okay, you made that metaphor run even farther. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of gas out of that. <laughs> Got a lot of gas out of that one. Yeah. The the thing that, I mean, I understand that it's an alien culture, but the Aldeans seem to be very, like, deal with it, about stealing children. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's not even, the, the thing that I thought was very interesting is they don't show the Aldeans really struggling with it much at all. They do have maybe Not like one or two scenes uh, where they kind of hint at, at uh, Radu is the guy who just has no remorse, right? Uh, he's <laughs> the leader of the planet, but it's his daughter, right? His daughter was the last new child born on Aldea, so she's the youngest she person his there. his daughter? Was that stated? I thought so, but maybe I just came away. Maybe she just not be like a a person who also made it to a high rank in society? Well, but I mean, that's the point, though, too, right? That the people that we meet are part of a very small group of folks. Like, they're down to just the limited group of people that's left on this planet. Well, okay, so there's a there's a weird point that I got out of this uh, the second time. Uh-huh. Because the first time through, you're right, it feels like there are a dozen people on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we could play some over-under on this. Burns, you could give me a number of how many people you think are on this planet. Sure. I mean, like, I was guessing somewhere on the order of, like, maybe twice as many people or, you know, four times as many people as, like, are hinted at. So, you know, maybe, like, hundreds, right? Like, there are hundreds so, left. Do you want to say 300? Aaron, do you want to go sure. over or under on that? Uh, no, I don't even want to guess. I think <laughs> you only ever meet five of them. Bid, bid one dollar. Bid one dollar. So, bid Troy $1. has a line at the beginning where she says that she senses thousands of minds. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So thousands. Thousands is still not a lot for a whole planet. It's not much, but it really, it's that idea of some of these early episodes where they were having this trouble with the enterprise where they only show like 10 people, but they want to convince you that there's thousands there and they do it poorly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do we, how do we save money? Let's use Troy to save (laughs) a lot of money here. He's going to sense them. Well, but it's, it's also weird. It's also weird that, it's there's thousands of people there, but they want like six kids. Seven. Right? They actually, I wrote a note of this. They took seven kids, and it's like I have in my notes five two seven. So, yeah, um, Wesley Crusher is one, and then a bunch of other kids like start to disappear. But that's another thing where right away where it's like we don't have any kids, so we gotta have some kids to raise these kids, and then eventually use these kids to make more kids. And it's like okay, creepy because you're by extension your line of logic there gets kind of gross kind of fast. But also, seven kids is not a big shot in the arm as far as, like, fresh population. <laughs> yeah, the genetic base there is horrible, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, and it's, well, I guess I counted wrong because I have six, and I, I wrote down four girls and two boys, um, maybe four girls and three boys, but that's not a great genetic population base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the planet goes from being planetary pedophile van to, like, space Appalachia. <laughs> I was going to go with Spain and the like seventh eighth century but <laughs> well I, I wrote this down too i wrote this down too it's kind of uh this episode gives you a little bit of an idiocracy in space vibe because this whole planet is 
like they just don't know how anything works um, <laughs> because that's the other thing that I found really fascinating is after the kids show up and we stay with, you know, this is a Wesley heavy episode, which also I think is maybe a little bit problematic for, for this one, because not that I think Will Wheaton's a bad guy. I think Will Wheaton's a great guy, especially now. Follow him on Twitter. He's, he's cool. But his character mm-hmm. in TNG has always been problematic. The writers have not known what to do with him. And in this situation, when you make him the lens of the episode, um, it's kind of dopey. Like it's, it's another situation where he's the one who knows everything, but it's made even worse because normally it's on the enterprise when the crew is just like derp. And he's like, I'm a genius. And then they figure it out here. Like it's not even a, a crew of like, qualified trained people these people are legitimately stupid because they've let a computer do all their thinking forever well and and that's the the seed of this good idea right that they they touch on really early uh in when he's talking about the legend that it's a planet where they got so technologically advanced that it basically they let the computer do their technology do everything and then just did arts and things like that which is an interesting they really focus on the arts too it's not like they just became lazy and didn't do anything. They like devoted themselves to the arts and you kind of imagine the writer in the writer's room is like a early fifties hard line complaining about damn liberals ruining America. <laughs> I'm going to write a whole planet of these damn liberals doing their artsy fartsy. Oh no, they're sterile because they don't know how to do anything. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's a fair point. Have, <laughs> yeah. It's a weird idea until you until it's like oh and then we're going to steal children and fix it. Um, then it gets really weird. Yeah, but I think he still could have saved it, right? He's, this this trope is a pretty pure trope of well, what happens if you just like let technology do everything and then not don't worry about it, don't set anybody's job to be like oh figure out what the computers are doing or write things down or mm-hmm. anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where at the end they they basically have this one computer that they interface with, they seem to know roughly how it works, but they have doors that they don't even open. When Wes, Wes asks about the power supply or asks about a door where he thinks the power supply is behind, and this old woman who's in charge of it, he's <laughs> like, is that where the power supply is? And she's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought to open that Them door. using the custodian is like your, your parents using Siri on the iPhone. <laughs> they just ask for something and hope it works. I was about to make that comparison because I was thinking, you know, if you set this in modern day, the equivalent would be like a post-apocalyptic <laughs> society where grandma's running a server farm, you know, where it's just like, I don't know, this stuff just works. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the the episode, I think, suffers also from um, some of these things that we've talked about in season one, too, where it's not quite sure what to focus on at any given time, um, which I think also clouds this this good idea. It kind of it occurs to me that, you know, Aaron, you weren't here for this discussion, um, but our, our last week's discussion, um, we talked one of the points that I made was I felt that the crew wasn't invested enough. Because there was this story happening, but the crew wasn't, you know, they were kind of parallel to it. You know, the other problem is in this episode, the crew is involved, but the way that they get them involved is just kind of awkward and weird. And it, and it sort of draws the focus away from what the really interesting bit of this episode is, I think, which is this planet of people who now no longer know how to use the tools that literally keep them alive. Also literally kill them. Yes, which is the point of the entire episode where it really comes home because um, essentially, you know, 
through through the course of investigating this episode, the Enterprise is, is they're scanning the planet, they're taking notes, they're talking to Wesley, and what they eventually put together is the idea that the reason everybody on this planet is sterile is because this this shield that surrounds the planet that makes it both invisible and impossible to detect and keeps them safe is also deteriorating their genetic structure and causing them to be sterile. Um, uh, well, so that's... so. And we might have different reads on this because it was so poorly written. But it's the ozone. Uh, so it's the computer is powered by or gives off CFCs and it's depleting the ozone was my read on it. Yeah, uh, that was pretty heavy handed. I think uh, Dr. Crusher actually explains that. Well, she explains the ozone hole and is like, this mm-hmm. happened on Earth. Remember in the 21st yeah. <laughs> century? When she spells it out for you. Like, right. In the 21st century, the ozone was completely gone and everybody yeah. got sunburns. Yeah. And- Do you guys remember when the ozone hole was this huge thing? For yep. a few years, and then, and then we just, then we just got rid of TFCs, and yeah, you know. problem solved. <laughs> Except for we still have Highlander Two: The Quickening to remember that time. <laughs> oh, was that an ozone plot? Too? It was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. The worst is, of them. Yeah, that is one of my worst movies. Ever. <laughs> like I compare bad movies to that to be like, well. Is it as bad as Highlander 2? Because <laughs> if you remember the red goop that's in, in the sky, uh, that whole project that they kicked off the very beginning uh, of the movie with was some sort of weird replacement for an ozone layer because it had oh. been completely obliterated in the near future. <laughs> By hairspray. By hairspray. <laughs> the band? The band <laughs> and the product. <laughs> they really had a tag team going on the ozone. It was there the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Big well, hair. And, and it thing. is. It's, it's, a, it's prediction about the future, right? And, and, and they, it, they were clearly in a place where the ozone hole was something that was on the horizon. It was terrifying back then uh, as a small yeah. child. Oh, like, yeah. Sort of think just about this. old enough for the ozone layer and nuclear war to be scary back yeah, then. That, yeah, that Venn diagram of times where those overlapped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you were a kid and you were watching this episode, it occurs to me that um, it, it sort of reinforces that, right? Where you're like, you're in the 24th century, you're having some escapist entertainment, and you're still being drawn back to that blipping, you know, ozone layer where you're like, I can't even get away from it here. <laughs> well, <laughs> and Star it, Trek. It's, the, it's the Star Trek IV uh, idea, yes. right? Of like, well, we want to say something about the past. Um, so let's say how bad it got a little later than that where yeah. like there aren't any whales and there isn't any ozone um but where, where highlander 2 is a movie yeah where where star trek 4 i think handles that at least a little bit better because oh, it no, is quite a bit better quite the better. the central crux of the plot this one feels like a real cheap jab right where it's yeah. just like they just wrote that in there so it's like see it's science fiction kids here's the lesson you know it's like um oh, <laughs> well man. but it's also super easy to miss right yeah. which is, is part of that point of, yeah it's basically the writers winking at the camera, going like, see, throw away that hairspray. Um, and when they resolve this, um, uh, well, I guess I, I want to back up a little bit because I wrote <laughs> yeah, this in my notes to back up quite a bit. Too, because that's, I mean, that's basically the end of the episode. But before we get there, one of the <laughs> one of the parts of the episode is Wesley Crusher explaining to the kids what passive resistance is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and getting them to go full Gandhi. <laughs> he he actually leads them on a hunger strike like they're IRA prisoners. <laughs> to do that with children seems horribly irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember looking at it and I'm like, I mean, okay, I get what they're going for, but... Mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> Especially like there are kids there as young as like five, I think. Um, and, and that just better seems... not eat that apple, ginger kid. <laughs> there was a little bit of food shaming there where it was just like, <laughs> you know, just, just a hungry kid. And it's like, no, we all have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Some of us aren't going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, looking but at this, the weird this, ginger. This kid. is a weird Wes episode. This is yeah. Like I'm usually stepping in and defending Wes pretty heavily, um, and a lot of his episodes. And and coming up, I think one or two episodes after he has another pretty heavy episode where he's much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just a weird place to place him, um, and and largely because of this sort of age gap that is being alluded to here, right? That he's clearly the oldest, and like he's coming up with ideas that are, um, I mean, more age appropriate to where he's at, but then selling it to children that are, you know, potentially 10 years younger, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that are, that without him here, this episode really doesn't work, right? It's a weird choice to make these all much younger than Wes. Yeah. They set him up as a leader. They specific, they spell that out too. Yeah. They spell it out really pretty hard. Mm -hmm. With that old lady when she's introducing him to the custodian, which also, that's a weird moment because they give him level three clearance, which is apparently just enough to spy on anyone on the planet (laughs) doing whatever at any time. They give this to a 14-year-old boy, I guess. Who they just Uh, met. 14-year-old men known for their self-control. Yeah. Custodian, show me Rochella in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love the interchange there, too. There's an interchange, and it reminded me a lot of – there's a South Park episode, the one um, where Cartman goes to the future, and at the end, the resolution, where he's asking questions like, well, how did that get resolved? I'm like, we've told you that already. Don't worry about it. But that's (laughs) kind of what the computer does, because he asks a few questions, and the computer's kind of like, "Mm, don't worry about it. I've told you that already. Like, it's very unsatisfying answers from the computer. Yeah. Um, and the computer's not trying to hide anything. The computer should have all the knowledge of what's going on, of what the civilization was like, of what they've been doing, of how their technology works. Like, he should be able to get all of it from there. Yeah, yeah. I think, <clears throat> you know, so we've we've kind of talked about the beginning, middle, and end. I mean, that's, that's the plot in a nutshell. Essentially, it, it just kind of, it, it all comes together at the end where... Um, they solve the mystery and kind of force the Aldeans to confront the truth, which is essentially, look, even if you steal these kids, um, it's not going to fix your problem. Your problem is this hole in the ozone and it's, you know, you've got to stop using this cloaking shield. You've got to, you know, I mean, you got to change your ways and heal the planet and Kumbaya and et cetera, et cetera. Well, and the question is, do they really fix anything? Right, because so they they recognize that it's the ozone hole is the problem, mm-hmm. or that there is no ozone. Like they make it pretty seem pretty dire, and they're like, "Well, don't use the shield." They reseed the ozone. They do talk about that, so they're like, "Okay, now they have an ozone layer." Well, do they? Because I think they also make the point that it's like the ozone layer. They go out of their way to say this that it will correct on its own. I think they give it a boost or whatever, um, but they also say it'll it'll eventually go back to good. But you just have to stop using the shield was what I took away from that. Yeah, they they help them, and then they just fly off into space, and they're like, yeah, there'll probably be another Federation ship showing up in the next six to ten years. And they could steal their children because they're all still (laughs) sterile. Uh (laughs) Right? In the meantime, (laughs) your shield is down, so anyone can come get your awesome technology. (laughs) Did I miss some kind of magic cure that kills radiation sterility? (laughs) Yes, you did. Yeah. They're like, 
There is none. There's yeah. None. They they literally high five everybody and then they're like, good job. Okay. Have your kids back. And it's like, wait, the whole reason that you stole these kids has not been fixed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we have an ozone hole again. So I guess when, um, I guess we'll all live until we die and then we're all dead and, and there's none of us. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Wait, it's the a very rough resolution. The only note that I have here is that they said they also say the ozone will, layer will return naturally, and then that will allow the Aldeans to reproduce again, which I don't think is how that works. <laughs> that works. <laughs> I don't know science much. I think they just sold but. them a pretty good con there just to get away. And they're like, well, <laughs> just tell them no Federation ships to ever go to this planet again. I was going to say, they're going to drop a buoy at the edge of the, the solar system that's like, <laughs> listen, <laughs> these guys got Not about this planet. 50 years left. Just wait it out. <laughs> well, and at the same time, though, okay. So at the same time, one of the things that from the early part of this episode that they never touch on, they never even talk about or think about um, would be the idea that that um, maybe they're going to sell the fact that every child in this in the 24th century has a happy family, and there aren't any uh, orphans, there aren't any refugee children, there aren't any children who need homes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a point that's not talked about. Is is glaring that that you couldn't make the case of okay, well. We have a starship and we'll go to the Federation and we'll say, hey, there's a thousand people on the planet that can't reproduce and they want to have children and they want to teach them things about their, their history and about culture and arts and their technology. They have a ton of technology and how hard would it be to bring that planet into the Federation and, and set up something where you know that, that is a place where children in need of homes could go there willingly. You can't yeah. accomplish a long-term diplomatic solution in 45 minutes. It's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what we're running into is, um, you know. But, uh, I guess the trick would be if they said it at least and then the Aldeans were like, no, that would take too long. Like, <laughs> be like, can we have, back, can we have these kids back and we'll give you all our crappy kids that nobody wants? Because <laughs> we want that sweet technology you got. It's like a scratch and dent sale at the orphanage. That's uh, – <laughs> <laughs> got kids just running around alleys eating trash at home. Or no, they probably don't. It's Star Trek. We do here in the 21st century. We have that. We have so many kids we could get rid of for awesome stuff. I mean, they have a lot of planets, a lot of planets that have wars. I mean, Yar's planet, right? If you went there and, and Yar oh, as yeah. a child, yeah. right? And they said, mm-hmm. well, we're going to take you from here, this horrible life you're living, and put you on this basically paradise planet where everything yeah. care of. They have to at least address that. And if it's a one line shooting that down of like, no, we don't want to wait that long. We want these kids. Yeah. Yeah. We already have these kids and we picked them. We hand selected them. They're ours. Radu seemed just like that kind of jerk though. Every, every time he opened his mouth, I was infuriated. That guy really was a jerk. He really (laughs) was. He was, uh, he was as unlikable as some of our (laughs) season one, uh, worsts. I think he was, he was captain. We, we only took seven children, and we're giving you all these awesome things. <laughs> You're being unreasonable. Uh-huh. Well, and they don't even really talk about, like, what awesome things they would give them. Right. Other than the weird, like... So awesome things. Transporters they have <laughs> that are... That, yeah. Ugh. Do no. you want our shield technology that causes you to go slowly sterile over a thousand <laughs> years? 
<laughs> You'll probably be fine for at least two, <laughs> maybe three generations. <laughs> this this technology, top of the line, three thousand years ago. Well, yeah, and that's the trick too. If they've not been advancing their technology, yeah, they, they never really. Well, I guess they do. They send the Enterprise. They push the Enterprise super far away, right? Yeah. Um, the first time they they get in an argument, and Picard's like, "Well, we're not going to deal with you." They send it back to the ship and then shoot them like what was that, like three days away. Um, mm-hmm. How often does that happen in Star Trek? A lot. Uh, you know, it's probably <laughs> happened three or four times so far. So, <laughs> yeah, but can't yeah. be that hard. <laughs> and they imply, they imply that they could push them far enough away that the children would be old when they got back. Yes. So, I in boy, why don't they ask for that tech at the end? You know, yeah. they save the day. Like, why don't they even be like, hey, about that tech? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've just fixed things. We just fixed things that you couldn't have. You're all going to live now. Well, I think I think what we're what we're touching on, and, and Paul, what you kind of brought center stage is is this kind of idea. And I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast before. It's the idea that in the late '80s, and and particularly even in the '60s when the original track was on the air, but even still in the late '80s, um, people who were into science fiction really into science fiction and the and the sort of economy of ideas and like you know some of these really i mean important things that you brought up paul where it's like talking about okay no how do we solve these problems in the future and how are there allegories to you know now and what can we learn from these stories those people who were into that kind of science fiction sort of looked down their nose at televised science fiction because what we're used to now on TV are, you know, the Battlestar Galacticas and, and uh, you know, we're used to things like The Expanse that are on TV now. I mean, even mm. now, later episodes of TNG, Deep Space Nine, you know, where there's really good stories that are told inside of 45 minutes. Um, these season one episodes, I, I think, are, are, you know, writers really struggling to get this pared down into a lean and mean 45 minutes of TV. Because what they're constantly doing is they're bringing up too many questions and not answering nearly enough. Um, because they're just, they're, they're kind of addicted to these ideas where it's like, well, what if this happened? And what if this happened? And what if this happened? <laughs> and like all of the things that they throw out here have implications that they just skate right by. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and I think, um, I think that's largely like that sort of thing is what attributed to um, televised science fiction kind of being looked down upon because you only have 45 minutes to tell a story. So you got to be really focused. So, you know, one of two things would happen where Trek was out there taking some cuts. And this episode, I mean, for good or worse, is it's definitely out there taking some cuts, uh, but it's just failing largely. Or you have things that are just plain silly, you know, like uh, like the Saturday morning power action lineup stuff or whatever that, that, that used to be on, whatever used to follow Hercules and Xena, you know, that kind of stuff. Um <laughs> So, so I mean, I think what you're seeing is is them still really trying to figure out how do we make something important but still tell the story in 45 minutes, and I think that's where where this episode really suffers because a lot of the core ideas that are there could have been interesting had they just shifted the focus. I think the idea of the kids is what kind of killed it as far as yeah. like centering the entire episode there because it just that was just a non-starter. <laughs> I mean, well, and it's and it makes the episode so much more about the kids, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. when I think of this episode, I think about it as the one where the kids get stolen, yep. not the one where they come across a planet that ha- it has these problems with technology and environmental issues. <laughs> like <Right? laughs> that's so far in the background. Once you say, "Oh, and they stole all our kids," mm-hmm. like it, it is can't. good that they bring that to the forefront, though. That there's just kids on this starship that nearly yeah. gets destroyed every week. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're mm-hmm. just on the ship with mom and dad. Yep, and. That ship regularly goes into horrible danger. Well, well and they 
they bring that up occasionally, and and I feel like this is a really bad way to try to highlight it, right? Because it, it doesn't make you think about it long term. It makes you think about it this one time. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it doesn't del- it doesn't deal with any of the problems that they face on a daily basis. Um, it deals with this problem that happened this one time, and then you're free to forget about them again. Yeah, there's yeah. there's two things in in the entirety of Star Trek: The Next Generation. That I don't know for sure, but they really feel like they came from Gene, and they really feel like they came from Gene in the later days of his <laughs> of his science fiction writing, where he sort of believed his own PR, and he was like, no, I'm the great bird of the universe, and this is what paradise is like. Um, one is that kids are on the ship, because... <clears throat> You know, on its nose, you're like, well, how great is that, right? You get to be out there and you explore the galaxy and uh, you still have your families with you. But in practice, yes, the ship is nearly destroyed every week. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) every single, I mean, and whether you slice it that way or not, say it's another ship that's on more boring stuff, right? I mean, still Starfleet service is dangerous and to ask children to be put into that kind of danger is grossly irresponsible by a society, um, but then also, you know, Counselor Troy being a counselor and being part of the bridge crew is very uh, both both kind of a weird maybe genism and also very telling of the late 80s. Right. But that would be a thing that people would do in the future because um, that was sort of chic at the time, I think. Um, but maybe I, for those Hollywood liberals. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I mean, that's that's. Basically, we, we've gone, you know, all around with the plot. Are we ready to say something good about it, yeah. something bad about it? Yeah, I don't know that there's really much left there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> there's... Okay, well, let's uh, let's start with the worsts, um, and let's go from there. So, uh, Aaron, since you're our guest, why don't you start? What's your, what's your worst part about this episode? Oh, man. Uh, the worst part was, like, the whole thing... It was the worst. Uh, I watched it twice, and now I'm sterile. And uh, to deal with that, I'm probably just going to steal a child that raises my own. And uh, that's irresponsible television. You might want to check an adoption agency. Nope, nope. Going to skip straight to Troll in the Playgrounds. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't think we're going to have you over anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) At least not when my child is around. (laughs) Paul, how about you? What was your uh, worst part of this episode? Yeah, I mean, I also wrote down everything, but I'm going to say that it's it's these, these really... Well, in the spirit of patching a nose in a hole, it's these potholes that they just slapped a patch on. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't think about this pothole very long. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they didn't fix anything, right? That that, that they just were, they they patched all these things really quickly and say, don't think about it too hard, and just that's it. Um, they didn't even try to to patch any of these holes um, with any real rigor. Uh, they just phoned this one in. It, it really feels like they phoned this one in, got it done, and they said, well, just don't worry about it. It's Writing episodes is hard, Paul. I'd like to see you try. There's 26 yeah. of them, Paul. God. <laughs> We're working on that. Uh, we need to work on that fanfic where the Traveler yeah. and, um, and Guinan and Q all meet each other. That's a <laughs> talked about that a long time ago. <laughs> that does need to be in the works, yeah. We still haven't put together that one episode, and we talked about it yeah, you know, five months ago. <laughs> 
Um, I wrote for my worsts. I wrote. Uh, I wrote idiocracy in space. Um, I, I stand by that as probably one of the worst parts of the, of of the episode. But we talked about that. Just the whole Radu idea. Radu is President Camacho. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you see, your problem is you're watering your plants with Brondo. <laughs> <laughs> we need more electrolytes. Uh, it's got what plants crave. Um, <laughs> but I, I also I want to point this out too. So since we kind of talked about that one. Um, I really disliked, I don't remember the kid's name. He was one of the older boys, uh, but the kid who didn't like calculus, right? <laughs> oh man. Like, I just hated that part because, um, it, it, I mean, eventually they brought it back home where, where he, you know, accepted his family and parents and was like, maybe I'll do some calculus too. But he was the one who was like, maybe I want to stay on this planet cause I don't have to do calculus. Woo. And I'm like, oh, God Dang it. I mean, at the same time, that is a little cool. And they actually do that throughout Star Trek, how like they highlight education in the future. Like, yeah, that kid is like seven years old and he's he's like doing calculus in school and he'll be doing warp theory when he's in the eighth grade. Uh, It's kind of cool, actually, as they go through Star Trek, how they like bring that down to the level where that's just normal education in the future you're expected to know that i'm 33 years old and i i'm not sure what calculus is <laughs> exactly i'm i'm there with you mm. <laughs> um the well it's it's <laughs> what you need if you do math on anything but straight lines that's what it is <laughs> i don't need that <laughs> well i and i that's a good point like and i do like that that that's uh that they frame uh education in the future as being very comprehensive and very advanced um i think i just hated the way that they handled that kid like yeah, he's literally yeah. like he's he's first world problems embodied on that starship where he's like oh i have everything i could ever want and i have the best education that's completely free but i don't want to do it I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't. He was one of the crappy kids, and they should have left him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> We're taking everyone but you, Johnny. <laughs> you stay here. <laughs> have fun carving your dolphins. <laughs> have fun deriving calculus on this planet that has forgotten it. Can I extend that also by saying maybe one of the worst things was the thing that he used to carve the dolphin? Did that basically just do it for him? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was reading it as. Um, so, that's uh, 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 Futurama references all the time, like a holophoner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> the idea that, like, you just think about it, like the fact that you're holding it and thinking, it's reading your thoughts and then translating that into a laser that cuts what you want. But then, yeah, I mean. Doesn't that take the craft out of it, though? Because if anybody well, can picture a dolphin, then everyone can carve a dolphin. Totally, I mean, it's easy mode crafting, right? <laughs> yes. Mean, they, they clearly don't have, like, just like the on instrument they there. had looked like it was one of those old eighties board game, like a bop it or something, but it's a musical, <laughs> it's the yeah. highest musical instrument in the culture. That oh, kind of did it, look like yeah. a holophoner actually to, to piggyback <laughs> yeah, on that. Reference. that it came up. Yeah. But it does. It feels like there would be a, a market there for, you know, people on Etsy selling like hand carved carvings instead of like these laser cut ones. <laughs> but then how would you know? How Artisanal. Well, the laser ones don't have imperfections, right? They don't have the... You could you know, laser one and then make a bunch of imperfections, huh? I, that would be a pretty high art, right? That would be the thing. The people who are doing that would be the high, high uh, top of their game artists. Listen, I can could carve... Make a thing, I could, could make a thing and make it imperfect 
but also perfect. You know, perfect. we're going to easy With mode this whole effect. thing, Paul. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm going to get the holophoner carver. I'm going to hitch it up to like my car and just drag it around for a while. And it's <laughs> it, now it's rustic, you know? Okay. There, look, look at all these imperfections. Ooh, I can not, charge not 50 bucks. Itself. We're talking about in the finished product. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You just... With a dolphin. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you make the thing and then you, okay, got it. You drag it around I'm on, for a I'm while. on board. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So those were the worst Let's try to be nice to this one and pick out a best part uh, of the episode. So, Aaron, I know you hate us and this episode. <laughs> and are You're lo- correct. <laughs> I do. And are looking forward to a life of crime now because of this episode. Yes. But, but now Stealing children because I'm now infertile <laughs> because of this episode. But but what, what was the best part <laughs> of this episode? Well, you know, I, uh, it's kind of hard to pick out the best. Best. Like no, nobody gets really the spotlight. Uh, you know, one thing I did find when I was trolling the internet for research on this, it does actually pass the Bechdel test. Did it? Oh. It did, uh, according to trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. Cool. Shout out there. When did that happen? Uh, according to it, uh, Crusher and Rochella talk about infertility on the planet. So two named female characters talk oh, about something wow. other than a man, which she apparently has rated the whole series. Uh, Next Gen has like a 40% Bechdel Yeah, no, we've past. already missed. There's been a ton of places where it's been missed. Um, and I'm surprised I missed that one. But yeah, good catch. Nice. Very good. Very good. So that's that's something. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's definitely something. Absolutely, and especially nice. in 1987, that's uh, 1987, 88. That's that's something. Yeah, uh, Paul, uh, how about I mean, you? They were talking about fertility, but I mean, it's still good. <laughs> it's better than than anything they've done so far. Um, <clears throat> so maybe it speaks to the fact that um, that I have a science background and you guys have a arts background. I guess I don't know Aaron's background, but I don't have any background. I'm no. going to say arts then. Okay. Um, <laughs> Goddamn liberals. <laughs> no, I joke. I joke. I love the, I love the arts. Um, no, I, my favorite part is the part where they force everyone to take calculus. And <laughs> start of the episode is the kids running and the, the basically the line is, well, too bad, son. You have to take calculus. And, it, <laughs> and they book at it. The end of the episode is um, comes back and it's like you could be anything you want. Like, does that mean I don't have to take calculus? And like, nope, still got to take calculus. <laughs> like, it's great, and it touches on all the points you were just making about the fact that I mean, they're basically selling you liberal arts education space, right? That it doesn't matter what you are; you have to take these things because these are just the cornerstone of so many ideas. Um, but the fact that they would make everyone take calculus something I think everyone should take, even just a conceptual understanding of it so that you know you have that discussion where you, you don't have to say, well, I have no idea what calculus even is. Mm-hmm. You know, in an hour or so, <clears throat> you could get across the big ideas of where you would use it or what it is or why it's important and the history of it. And then, you know, there's a lot of um, really interesting things about calculus, <laughs> says the person pitching it. But... Mm-hmm. I love that idea that that every child on the enterprise is forced to take calc and that they hate it and that <laughs> <laughs> and that it's just too bad. No, just, just that one jerk of a kid kind of hates it. I'm sure that that's a common sentiment. <laughs> you know, you hate anything. It's it's child problems, right? You hate all the things that turn out to be good for you later. That's true. Uh, like <laughs> you hate you hate taking naps. You hate like 
yeah, you hate all the good things. Well, it was a long way to get there, but I do have a, a, a kiddo who likes naps. So that's, uh, you know, it's probably going to change next week, but, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but yes, point taken. When he, when he starts calculus, that's what happens next week. Yeah. Well, next week, yeah, <laughs> he's going to be complaining about his calculus class next week, but he's already smarter than I am. So he should be okay. Um, okay. So the best part of the episode for me was, uh, the fact that Deep Throat is a jerk and steals kids. Uh, the Deep guy, Throat, the guy, yes. the guy who plays Radu is. Uh, this is his first appearance, I think, in uh, he's Star Trek. He's been on a ton of things, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's, he, he was a pretty uh, solid mainstay in that era of television. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, his name's Jerry Harden. Um, he eventually makes a reappearance in Star Trek: The Next Generation. We'll see him again several seasons later. He plays Samuel Clemens, aka Mark Twain. <laughs> In the Times Arrow Part One and Two. Uh, oh, but yeah, he. Uh, I, I just immediately when I saw him, I was like, "Why is Deep Throat stealing all those kids?" Because he uh, is very prominently featured in the first season of the X Files, and it's always fun to to notice those, um, those little you know crossover. Well, not really crossovers, but the same actors appearing and stuff. Um, that's probably the most complimentary thing that I can say about the episode. <laughs> Other than the fact that it also it had some good ideas, but I just got really excited when I was like, "Hey, it's 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 deep throat." How about that? Um, so finally, to uh, to wrap this up, I've got a couple of notes that when I was doing some research in this, I just wanted to share with everybody because I thought they were kind of cool. Um, the let's see here. Sorry, I'm scrolling down. The melody that um, I guess Katie is her name, the one when she's picking up the the holophoner. Holophoner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> The theme that she plays, I thought was really, really familiar, and it turns out um, we heard it before in the episode where no one gone's, uh, where no one has gone before. It's the theme that they play for the traveler. It's, uh, it's she's playing his theme, hmm. which is weird, and it seems like I mean writing new music is hard, Burns. I'd like <laughs> to see you do it. I just thought it was kind of cool to hear it again <laughs> because it, it maybe implies that he's everywhere. You know, I Ooh, I. I still like the idea that he would he was planned to come back at some point and just they never got Well, maybe he is it. watching West right here. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the pitch they sell you at the end that he's been watching West like the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, very true. See? Hmm? Think about it. Um <laughs> Aldea is the Spanish word for village and Aldea was not the originally scripted name for the planet. Um in the teaser trailer, which um, you you would have heard before this episode, um, and maybe you could also watch it at, at StarTrek.com, I guess if you watch, you can see Riker is telling everyone about Aldea, but you can see Jonathan Frakes mouthing a different word that is clearly not Aldea, um, and it was apparently just 80 yard after the fact. So for at least a period of time when they were shooting the, the episode, it wasn't referred to as Aldea. Do we know what it was? I couldn't find what it was. This is according to Memory <laughs> Alpha, but I, I, I'm not sure. So, Do we know what ADR is? Uh, that's the... Uh, Automated dialogue replacement. Got it. Thanks, Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could have said dubbing. <laughs> well, it's a little bit different process, but yes. Okay, that's fair. Um, I learned something today. There you go. Um, and then the visual effect of the Enterprise being blasted away from Aldea is reused uh, multiple times when they yeah. also use that same trope, right? Where it's like, the Enterprise, butcha, away with you! Um, the exact same shot is reused for Q-Who. Q, yep. Um, and then it's also used when uh, Gom-2 blasts the Enterprise away in Tin Man. Um, that hmm. same shot of the Enterprise basically hmm. spinning and being flung through space. Um, so a couple of just things to watch for as we... Because both of those will be later in, in the run. So watch yeah, for those. 
is uh, not too far out, right? Maybe. So at season right, two. Season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll we'll get there pretty quick before too long. Um, finally, I guess uh, I think we all know our verdict. Uh, this is for me. This is a pretty skippable episode. Um, I think we want to we want to remove this one from the run for newbies, right? Yes. Yes. There's there's no long term really consequences of this episode. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I defended the last one um, for quite a while. Um, this one, there's just nothing there. There's mm-hmm. nothing. You just said it well, right? There's nothing long term. For, for um, your guys' podcast, what are you trying to? Tr- is there like an episode cap that you're trying to trim it down to, like a modern twelve <laughs> or thirteen episode season? We're not having trouble cutting. Let's be. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, we're about fifty um, fifty. I think at this point, I know, I, I, it, it's really a, however the numbers play out. But the oh, basic yeah. idea of um, if you had a friend who had never seen Star Trek, which are the ones, you, and you're watching it with them, and you're you're scrolling through that Netflix queue, and you say, eh, "Let's just skip this one." Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think this one embodies that. Mm-hmm. It, it, this like, is not the one if you're trying to get your wife to like Star Trek. You don't watch this one. Well, it. and it's not exactly. if you run into a group of like people and you're like, oh, we both like Star Trek and you start talking and then it's not going to be like, oh, you remember that episode when the bow breaks? It's my favorite episode. Let's talk about it. Like you're not going to get into those situations. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. No. And, and even sometimes we'll put some on there that are that are just, you know, the medicine, you know, you got to take it um, because there's something important that happens yeah. that, that you need to know about. I mean, the pilot like that in this episode. Well, no. and I made a long case for the last episode that way, that there were some things there. Um, I guess the only thing this one would have is that the, this might be the first episode that passes the Bechdel test unless you missed a different one. But. No, I think there's other ones. I think there's a couple of other ones. There's there's a couple that come close, and there's a couple that, yeah, that the have last opportunity. One came super close. But. Yeah, yeah. So, well, all right. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy talking about these bad ones almost as much as I enjoy talking about the good <laughs> ones. Um, and so, if you're a diehard Trekkie, hopefully you had fun uh, watching along and not hating us uh, and listening to <laughs> to this podcast. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us uh, on the show. Thank you. Coming up uh, next week, we'll uh, we'll have a preview for our next episode, which will be Home Soil. Uh, until then, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And uh, watch watch for those invisible cloaking shields that give you sterility, I guess. And if you get it, steal some kids. Wear sunscreen. Just wear sunscreen. Always wear sunscreen. <laughs> it always comes back to that. We'll see you next time. Bye. We'll see him again several seasons later. He plays Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain, <laughs> in the Time Zero Part 1 and 2 uh, oh. episodes. Burns, was was it you who sent me the uh, the supercut of him? Just... <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yes. Just, just <laughs> yes, several was. minutes of that. <laughs> it's just all of his uh, clearing throat, uh, you know, surprise, like... <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, he kind of sounds like a tauntaun when you put it all together, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. The transceiver assembly has been removed. That's easy.
Twain. Clemens? Yes. He's been driving me crazy. He watches the house. He follows me down the street. Shame on you, Mr. Clemens. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> 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 